Hey, man, do you think I can join the Board Gamers Anonymous? Sure, but you don't actually have to wear a mask or use a voice modulator. We just use the name Board Gamers Anonymous, but you don't have to actually be anonymous. All right, cool, man. Let me just quick take off my mask. Oh, gee, all right, uh, yeah, you can put that back on, but, uh, at least you can ditch a voice modulator. Well, I guess that's fair, you have some bad scarring. Hey, we still have people Yeah, how about you just throw that modulator back on, too? Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast for gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Anthony. Hey guys, this is Chris. This is Kim. And this is Dan. Alright guys, welcome to episode 8. This week we are talking about Bioshock Infinite Siege of Columbia. Uh, we finally got it to the table, we've played it a few times, and we're going to run through a full review for you. First up, first thing absolutely we have to talk about, because we're only three weeks away now, is the Extra Life charity event. Um, we are things are actually starting to come together really quickly, so we have a lot of great news to share. Um, we have, if you go to the website, actually, a lot of this is on the website now. There's a button right at the top that says Extra Life. You can see the list of publishers that have donated so far, along with the games that we're going to play. Uh, that is, of course, BoardGamersAnonymous.com. Yeah, so we already have quite the list of publishers who've gotten back to us and said they're going to donate. Um, on my desk right now, we have games from Z-Man Games, from Cards Against Humanity, uh, Smirk and Dagger, Looney Labs, uh, the guys behind Boss Monster, um, Stronghold Games has sent a few th- games through already, and we got a big stack of RPG books from uh, Steve Kenson. Uh, these are the Icons uh, superhero game. The community has already been really fantastic. All right, and we also have like a huge list of uh, games that are already being scheduled in uh, for the calendar. Um, I don't have a list in front of me right now, but I think there's 25 on there already. Yeah, absolutely. Gonna... We have a lot of games com- upcoming. Yeah, so we're going to slot all those in within the 25 hours. We're going to have a calendar up so you can see exactly when they're going to play. And uh, if you're coming to the event, you can, of course, email us or uh, talk to us at the store, and we'll put you in for that time. And we also have on the Facebook group where you can also sign up for any of the games that you want to sign up for, for the time slots, anything you want to make sure you get to. It's a great way to let us know what you want to play. Yeah, I think it's a rare opportunity to actually have the chance to play those big games and be able to actually finish one of those. Yeah, especially with like Rune Wars. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> I would like to play a game that takes less than um, five months, so that would be nice. Well, it's, it's very thematic with all the seasons. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, right. It's almost taking us six years to play our current game. You don't really need a dining room table, do you, Dan? Come on. <laughs> be honest. I still love the layer of dust that's settling on that game. <laughs> Also, Stephen Bonacore from Stronghold Games donated $25 to the charity and also donated some games for us. Yeah, three games, actually. He, he was really great. Um, great guy to talk to, too. He was very generous promoting or helping support the event. Yeah, I had an opportunity to meet with him when uh, Myriad first opened, and we got to sit down and play um, Article 27, which was a lot of fun. Yeah, I wanted to play. I, saw you got, I think I was doing something else at the time. But yeah. I kept floating around the table the rest of the... I think you were playing Canterbury at the time. I might have been, yeah. Yeah, I actually tied with him, so that was a lot of fun. I was like, yes! <laughs> I tied the guy who publishes this! Yeah. <laughs> and, and I gotta say, like, actually having Stephen Bonacore getting in touch with us, I feel like we finally made it. Like, now we have a presence. <laughs> <laughs> it's official, guys. <laughs> so yeah, uh, Stephen Bonacore, thank you very much um, for the cash donation, as well as the games you sent over. Um, they're going to go over great. I know they are. Um, 
so that's Extra Life. It's, you know, we're only three weeks away. If you have not yet signed up, if you haven't uh, checked out the site, if you haven't contacted us to see how the event's going to go, um, definitely do that because uh, we're getting really close. So as for board game news, uh, what kind of stuff we have coming out this week, guys? Um, well, one thing is War Machine Hordes has just released and is on the way to my house as we speak. I can't wait to get that game in. Uh, War Machine High Command I thought was great. So the High Command of Hordes is going to be just as fun. It's going to be very similar feel, but it also is interchangeable with the original game, so you can have eight choices of factions to play from. So I'm looking forward to that part. Yeah, that'll be awesome. And I know it'll be out at the event, too, because uh, we have a copy of the War Machine, the High Command, coming in, and I know your Hordes will be there. Oh, yeah. So... And I will actually be personally hosting a game of High Command during that day. We just got to find the right time slot, because, like I said, I really enjoy that game, even though uh, I know it wasn't Chris's favorite, but it's definitely one of mine. Okay. <laughs> nothing wrong with that. Yeah, It's fun, and I look forward to playing it properly. Look, you, you have a problem. I get that. Um, it's not pretty bad, but it's... All right. you know, it's <laughs> Does it come with coasters? <laughs> I wish. Every week. We should have Parade Corner. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Is it Parade Bad, Chris? <laughs> Let me see. What's the co- How many coasters would I give this game on a, a one-to-four scale? <laughs> More coasters is not good. Not a good thing. On our patent-pending rating scale. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, one other game that got released, too, is the latest expansion for Descent, the Trollfins is out, which that just released today, so I'm looking forward to picking that up. Even though we've only played a couple of Descent campaigns so far, I've picked up every expansion. I love this game. The miniatures work well for not only Descent, but also like D&D tabletop. So the value for this game is always a huge plus to me. Yeah, totally. Those things always look awesome. Uh, the Lieutenant Packs are coming out pretty soon, too, right? Yeah, they're available for pre-order right now. There's four different, and they all look really interesting and add even more options for the Overlord in that game. Fantasy Flight wants all your monies this, oh, yeah. this holiday season. <laughs> all your monies belong to us. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so last week you mentioned the Reaper Bones, the, the second Kickstarter, right? Oh, yeah. So tell us, because you were just telling us this before we started recording, how much money do they have now? They're up to $1.5 million, and they have weeks to go before it ends. People like their minis. Yeah, well, the first one was such an overwhelming success that there's no way you can't get in on this. You could not like tabletop at all and just go, "Ah, I'm just doing it because it's more value than you can possibly handle. Seriously, you just have 100 little miniatures running around the house. You put them wherever you want. I'll tell you right now. (laughs) Easter egg hunt of miniatures. (laughs) If you're debating this for the price, get the $100 buy-in. Get the minis that you want, take the rest, put them on a bulk lot on eBay, you'll probably get 100 bucks for the ones that you don't want. Yeah, because how much are these usually individually? The Reaper Bones are anywhere from like $2 to about $5 for the normal size ones. And at a, like you, it's going to probably end up with around 100 minis or more per, you know, per order. That's crazy. The last That's... time I think it was something like 186 Wow. Are there any like oversized ones, the big guys? Yeah, as the stretch goals go higher and higher, they start including bigger and bigger, and then they always have the um, add-on option too. So it might be a guy that's normally twenty dollars, but you can add it on for like seven bucks. Because the main thing with the goal here is the molds. Like once they get those molds set, it's pennies on the dollar to make the minis. So that's why they just can add so much more value for it. So I mean, if you even have a simple tabletop group, if you guys use like paper minis as your enemy encounters and your heroes. It's worth buying in for this. Get all your players together at your table. Have everyone throw in twenty bucks. 
and you're gonna have more minis than you can imagine. Yeah, and even if you're not into mini games, a lot of these minis can be used in a lot of different board games. You can really upgrade your components using these minis to replace tokens or just uh, miniatures that are just not living up to your standards. Yeah, I'm gonna probably even use them in Mage Wars. Great. Yeah, so there's some big dragons, there's a kraken, there's a lot of nice big pieces to it as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that store we went to in Jersey had pretty much all the first set yeah. that ran, and Dan and I spent, I don't know, an hour or two digging oh, yeah. through the it piles. Was, <laughs> it was beautiful. I, <laughs> I felt like a kid in a candy store when I saw that wall of minis. Yeah, it was awesome. I couldn't help buying that clockwork dragon. Yeah, I can't wait to see how that thing comes out, too. That the, that model is amazing for the value, too. Oh, God, yeah. I just primed it, so I'm all excited to paint it. That should be good. Yeah, so the Reaper Bones, too. I don't know how long it takes them to get those into the molds and out and into our hands, but I'm excited for it. Yeah, I think the last time, the turnaround wasn't too long, either. I think it was, like, within about two or three months. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, because they already have... Um, I know this time around, it's going to be a lot of the current models that are metal that they're going to convert to the resin. And so you can, like, go online and you can already see sculpts of them. It's just going to be a little, you know, a different material for painting purposes and weight. Yeah, and it's great material. You know, you're paying half the price and you're getting like this solid resin. Yeah, and it actually holds the paint pretty well, which is nice too. Yeah, they said, like they treat it with something where it actually has almost like a built-in primer, so you can actually just start painting. You don't necessarily have to prime if you don't want to. Yeah, and they're white, so it's if you prime with white, literally no reason to prime unless you're a purist. Yeah, pretty much. Also this week, Upper Deck released information about their upcoming Legendary Encounters. So if you ever had the chance to play um, Marvel Legendary, where you have all the choice of characters in the deck building game, where you have this big board and the villains come out and you try to knock them out and there's different scenarios, well now you'll actually have the opportunity to play in the Alien universe with the same sort of setup. Um, in addition, they're also talking to um, about having possibly a Predator version of this and even a firefly version now if the alien predator one is in the same game that's what everyone wants to see that alien versus predator element yeah it's interesting to see how this actually works out i mean they are really interesting expandable universes but i don't know if individually a lot of the characters are that knowable that someone's going to pick up the game for you know torres or something like that you know it's kind of interesting to see how that actually plays out. Yeah, and I'm also curious about the price point, because Legendary is a great game, but that's one of the pricier deck builders that you can find out there. Oh, by far. Yeah. You know. And it's retail, it's like 120 for the two. Yeah, the pretty much. It's like 70 for that base game, which, I mean, again, anything, like, you know, that's more than GTA V. You know, it's like, that's, that's a pricey game. <laughs> yeah, plus the setup for that, I mean, just to put the decks together, to set the board up, and then to break it down... I don't know if this game is really going to be the bridge for a lot of new gamers because, like, hey, maybe you're a big Alien fan, but you haven't played board games yet or card games at this level. I don't know if this is going to pull you over. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's like people that are into superheroes, that's like an appealing element. Like, oh, okay, I'm building up this and attacks and everything else. I can kind of see it being hard. Like, did you love Predator? Yeah, I love that movie. That thing is great. Okay, cool. You're going to take this deck of bullets and then you're going to shuffle it together and then you're going to buy bigger guns and then you're going to use that... It's like, but I, I like Predator, man. I, I don't want to do all that. <laughs> Can I just shoot them? Like <laughs> That's true, too, because for Alien, you're going to have a lot of Marines. For Predator, maybe you'll have a couple of different Predators or a couple of different random troops. But it does play best with 
a comic book universe because yeah. you have a lot of different types of heroes. And also, I mean, if it runs on that same system, like in the Legendary, there's all the different villains and their schemes. In Aliens, it's like, I'm an alien. My scheme is going to be infecting your entire race and seeing you all die. <laughs> and then in this scenario, I'm going to infect your entire race and see you all die. It's I can't really see the spread. Yeah, I don't know how this is going to play out yet. They've just released some real basic info on it, but it's pretty interesting. That would be such a massive release. But it's nice to see that um, these quality board games are getting a lot of different IPs placed on them because it'll bring a lot of people into the hobby, and it's a lot of fun. I wonder if they're going to have any characters from that Prometheus movie. Like the oh, doctor yeah. and the robot guy. That yeah, yeah that could be interesting. Yeah, that might be a new expansion, yeah. but that would be really interesting too. They also have to have the card where the android gets his head ripped off since that happens in every single one of the movies. <laughs> every single movie. <laughs> He's a total red shirt. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and uh, one other thing I just wanted to mention to you guys too was uh, a couple of episodes ago, I mentioned my dream is a deck builder that does that living card game model where they release expansions like in a monthly basis well high command which we mentioned earlier has their first expansion for the war machine universe coming out it's going to be priced 14.99 lcg price nice it's going to have 80 cards including four new casters and it's going to be actually it's 84 it's uh four new war casters one for each side and uh 15 new cards divided into the uh current five color schemes so this is going to be really awesome. If they release an expansion like that, if they alternate like one for War Machine, one for Hordes every month, this will finally be that thing that I was talking about. And Privateer Press, I'm not even going to sue you for stealing my idea. Even though I only mentioned it a few weeks ago, and I'm sure this has been in works for years, I promise I will let the lawyers off easy. <laughs> I'm just glad that somebody is finally putting this model to work. Well, that sounds great. A lot, a lot of different variety of that game would really benefit it. And now it's time for Acquisition Disorder Corner. What's got our eyes this week, guys? So a couple episodes ago, I was talking about the Batman classic hero, classic TV show, Heroclix. And I got half a dozen already coming in the way. And I bought three when we were at Tamiriad. Nice. Which ones did you get? I got the Penguin... Dick Grayson and some guy named Shame. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the cowboy guy, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah, the Dick Grayson thing is actually pretty awesome. He's actually at the stature head hitting the button. And he's a terrible, terrible hero claim. So it's actually fits <laughs> well that he's Dick Grayson. But um yeah, and for me in the latest acquisition disorder, I I don't know what happened, man. I went buck wild. Uh I was like doing an online order. I was originally only about eighteen dollars away from free shipping. And then I ended up adding and adding and adding, so I was like 60 <laughs> past shipping. Uh, so the things that I got on the way is I decided to finally order that game City of Iron because I kept looking at it. It keeps looking more and more awesome. So that's I love that steampunk feel. It's another worker placement style, so I decided to order that. And then I had such fun when we played Bruges that I decided that's a good game to add to the collection. We should definitely have one of that on hand. Nice. So I got some Bruges on the way. And then I found out that the Hortz High Command is coming out this week, so I decided to add that to the shopping cart. So that's on the way. And then we've been playing more and more Mage Wars. So, you know, you need spellbooks to, to have all your casters together, so I ordered a two-pack of spellbooks. <laughs> and then I guess, like, there's still some batteries left in my mouth. <laughs> 
because Stronghold Games, you know, I like the stuff that they make, and I wanted to check out some of their games, and I was looking around, and you mentioned uh, Veluspa a few episodes back, and I saw that was at a really good price, so I decided to add that to the card. And because I've been playing some hero clicks lately, I ordered a couple of the common Street Fighter guys. <laughs> I need help. I really need help, guys. Dan, get in the acquisition disorder corner. I know. This is why you <laughs> cannot leave me unsupervised <laughs> at the computer. It's not even the acquisition disorder corner. It's just Dan's corner. Yeah, I, I took care of all of us this week. <laughs> And then we also got Masquerade in <laughs> I got that too, by the way. Yeah, that's true. We, but we just that, that, though. Not none of the rest of that. And then, uh, and then we got some more Crossmasters guys. We got the Fire and Ice expansion pack because you know can't have any, too many of those miniature guys. And yeah, I'm gonna be like in foreclosure on my house soon. Man. This is really <laughs> bad. not to worry because Miniature Market also had the deal of the day. So. Castellane, we bought three of those, so yeah, that was pretty you good. can build a little castle around you. Yeah, it's going to be my new home pretty soon. <laughs> hopefully, right. it'll, uh, well, it oh, is high quality plastic. I was going to say, so. hopefully, it comes with heating and plumbing. <laughs> <laughs> That's the expansion. But yeah, it's just basically uh, since we've been like getting closer and closer to extra life, you know, time like I know that time is going to be in flux for a while. So I wanted to have all the stuff that I was going to think of getting this month on hand, so this way when I do have a free hour to break out a game, enjoy some of them. And make sure that we definitely have them going on on the day of the event. So there is going to be tons to play on that day. Absolutely. A little overstock. Yeah, pretty much. Well, one of the things that we got to start out was Ascension, The Darkness Unleashed, which is the latest expansion. That's the one that works on the Rise of the Vigil system. It's a pretty good game. Uh, we liked it a lot. We started out with just the expansion to see how we felt. The transformation uh, mechanic that we mentioned last time, I don't know why I pronounced it like that. The transformation, <laughs> the transformation mechanic that we mentioned previously, it's actually it plays pretty well. It doesn't feel like just layered on. Uh, Kim got to use it a few times over, which led her to dominate. I was always like one energy short every time my transformation guys were in my hand, but it plays really well. The new dark energy crystal is really nice. It's a fate card, so when it hits the field, everyone can remove a card from their discard pile, and sometimes those piled up. And some of the new treasure guys are also pretty interesting, too. So it was a really fun deal that we decided to mix it with Rise of the Vigil and play again, see how they integrated. And it holds up really well. It's a very well-made expansion. I like that mechanic a lot. I'm looking forward to see what the next extension world is going to be. So that was pretty fun. Yeah, how, would you, how much would you say it changes the game? I mean, I'm looking at it, and like those energy shards didn't do a lot for me. In the last, uh, I guess it was a full set, not really an expansion, but this looks like it really takes advantage of those. Yeah, the energized mechanic previously, I the first time around, I kind of felt like those energy shards were, okay, this is slowing down the game because it's just making me draw to replace it, draw to replace it. With the new cards, it becomes a lot more useful. And the transformation mechanic, I like the element of when you defeat this monster, he becomes this hero on your side. Or that this simple warrior becomes this mighty giant. So the Energize actually feels like something that's there instead of, do you have two? No, okay, then you just do this. So it, it makes the energy feel like it's more a part of the world instead of just something tacked on. Because Rise of the Vigil was actually my least favorite of all the Ascension worlds in the beginning, but with this expansion, it did definitely up it. Like I found myself looking forward to the next game, which was a really good change of pace. Previously, Rise of the Vigil, it was like, ah, that was good, let's play Storm of Souls instead. Yeah, I'll be honest, it kind of... Uh... I'm not going to say it turned me off to it, because I love me some Ascension, but I have not played it very much since that one came out. Uh, I don't think it's hit the table very much at all. 
I'm actually really looking forward to this though. I haven't played it yet, but yeah, it's definitely good. Uh, Kim, what did you feel about the game? Yeah, when Anthony mentioned how uh, Rise of the Vigil, the energy shards just seem to be wasting up your deck space. This game, this expansion, the cards seem to deal more with the energy shards. So now, like, you want to get as many energy shards as you need so you can transform your cards and you can also, like, get, like, extra trophy bonuses. So that I like. So what would you rate it, would you say? That? I would say it was a must-buy. Yeah, like I said, I mean, uh, if, if you had an interest in Rise of the Vigil, I would say definitely get this one. I don't know if it's going to win you over if you didn't like Rise of the Vigil, but, I mean, it's definitely, you know, if, if Ascension is your deck builder, it's definitely something to look into. Yeah, it seems like at this point, if you're into Ascension, new expansion, new game world, you kind of have to. Yeah, absolutely. The one thing I'm also hoping for is I'm looking forward to see if they put a couple of new promos out that deal exclusively with the Energized Mechanic 2. Most of their promos can go into any set, but I would love to see a couple exclusive promos come out somewhere down the pipeline that deal with that Energized Mechanic. Yeah, definitely. I'm excited. Honestly, I, I like the idea of the Energized Mechanic. I just felt like it was underutilized. It's cool that they went back to it. Yeah, well, actually, you know what I would love to see? Something that uses your Victory Gems to fuel the Energize. Like, you have to actually burn away the gems. Ooh. That would be good. That's a good idea, actually. <laughs> nice. You know, sacrifice those victory points to hopefully make a big play or something like that, or to, like, get rid of cards from your discard pile. Some guy's going to end up with two points. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> it didn't work. <laughs> On Thursday night, our friend Drew brought in uh, Dominaire. It's the third game in the Tempest universe. And if you've ever had a chance to play the Steve Jackson game Revolution, this plays fairly similar to that. So in the game, you have a big city-state board where you have all different areas of power, including the church and the senate and several different areas. And on each turn, you'll be playing a different card, um, a member of the city-state that you'll be influencing. Now that person can play influence on the board. So you'll have these little wooden cubes, which you'll place on different parts of these different areas. So the church has multiple areas, including... Um, victory point numbers, so twos, ones, and so on. And if you control the most boxes within that section, you'll actually control that area at the end of the game and get additional victory points based upon a victory point track for each of those sections. So as the game goes on, you have seven different years with this, you'll be playing additional cards as the game goes on. Now, the cards themselves, very similar to um, Bruges, has a lot of different effects. So there is a um, token, a little marker that tells you where your guy will be able to place their influence. You'll also get coins. You'll also get influence, which you can do during canvassing, where you'll actually place influences in the boxes. And then you'll also get um, a certain level of exposure. So if you're playing those high-level cards, like you might remember from Love Letter, there's the princess. The princess is actually in this game with all the other characters and then several others. She obviously has a lot of exposure if you're going to be using her to influence the board, and that moves your influence track, your I'm sorry, your exposure track up, and at the end of the game, the person who has the highest exposure loses the most amount of points, and so on and so forth. And the person with the uh, yeah, the person with the least inf um, exposure doesn't lose any points whatsoever. So they did it more like secretly and everything. That sounds yeah. pretty awesome. Yeah, so it really offers a nice dynamic. The, the artwork is amazing. The graphic design is really nice and neat. Um, and you 
just don't play your big cards because you know you definitely be exposed to the rest of the populace. Yeah, I gotta say, I mean, uh, when I saw you playing this a couple of times, I always felt bad that I didn't have the time to jump in because the game looks awesome. It looks very involving. It, it, the, like you said, the art style looks really nice. The card art is really good, and I, it seems like there was a lot of variety in the game, which was something that was really appealing to me. Yeah, they put a lot of thought into this game. Like I said, if you've ever picked up Love Letter and you wondered more about the characters, really, this is the game to take a look at because you actually get their real names, you get you know some flavor text about them, and you get to see their power in this universe. Is it like the handmaid and makes it where no one else can uh, like do anything about the cards you play, or is it like is it that same similar pile, like powers? Or that's the really interesting part about this game. Each character will have different special powers that will activate in certain years. So your weaker characters will only be year one, where your louder characters will, um, where your more powerful characters will actually activate in the later seasons or multiple seasons. So you really want to use your characters at certain stages and not just throw your big ones up first. So in other words, like the peons go first and then the dragons, you know. Like, exactly. Yeah. All right, cool, yeah. Is it one of those games where if, like, you have to play it a couple times before you know kind of the rhythm and flow of it? Um, like when you can pull those characters out or is it kind of evident right off the bat? Well, you'll be, you'll be given a hand of cards in the beginning and you'll have to play three of those cards throughout the season. But you'll also be able to do additional actions, and one of the actions is recruit. So you'll actually be able to pick up two cards and then take one of those cards from there. So you'll be able to pick up new citizens that you'll be able to play throughout the game. But later in the game, there's actually a drafting mechanic. So you'll be able to pull one person and then it'll go around. So you want to be very strategic on what are you allowing other people to have in the game because they may be able to, say, dominate the canals because the powers influence those canals. That sounds pretty cool. I gotta next time you guys break that out. I gotta try to get in for a game of it. Yeah, it's a little bit long. Um, it's a lot of text reading on the cards and trying to figure out when to play what. And but it's a lot of fun. I mean, it's a lot of colors. It's it's a lot of um, player interaction. So, you know, the second game I was playing, I really dominated the church and the Senate had a huge amounts of influence. And then at the end of the game, um, Drew and uh, George were throwing a lot of influence on the board and just wiping away my guys. And I was like, whoa! Yeah, I, got, I got a question for you. Um, like, two things. How long is the playtime on it? Is it, like, two hours? or? Yeah, it's supposed to be, it's supposed to be around two hours. Um, our games have taken a little bit longer than that. Uh, we, the last game we played, we had five players. Yeah, so it took first-timers. A, yeah, first-timers. It took a little, bit, a little while to play. But um, it's definitely something you should check out. I haven't, like, wrapped my brain around the strategy yet. Uh, the first game we played, I won by just a tiebreaker for as far as coins, and the second game went really long, and we had to kind of cut it off at the last year. Now, when um, like and nothing personal, you know, we've seen it where at the end of the game you can be so far behind, you can be last place, and then actually steal first place if things go well. Is this a game where, like, in the first forty-five minutes, you can make the mistakes where you can never come back, or because um. Uh, when you were playing one of the games, uh, Mike Miley, my hero clicks mentor, was with you. Uh, he came up to me at the register and he offered me fifty bucks to kidnap him just so he didn't have to finish the game because he said things were looking bad for him. So, it certainly is one of those games where you have to wait till literally the last round because everyone is placing influence on top of each other, so the board does change dramatically. And I actually wonder if the first couple of rounds actually matter because the seventh round is when all of the characters come into play and the effects are really devastating there. Do, they, do you ever get the option of like threatening other players or extorting them? 
No, but there's a lot of apologizing as you wipe out everyone's influence after six rounds. <laughs> I might just stick with nothing personal. Now. I kind of like that part a lot. <laughs> so, uh, like, what do you? Th- I mean, would you say this is like my type of game? Should I be checking this out the next time? Definitely. I think so. The only thing I wonder is, and I definitely got to play, get some more plays of this game. And do you get the benefit? Do you enjoy a lot of the game out of the amount of time that's put into the game? Um, playing the cards is a lot of fun. Drafting the cards is a lot of fun. Um, the back and forth between the different areas that you're controlling is a lot of fun. So I want to say this game is a lot of fun. The hours going into it, I'm not too sure. I, I want to see once we get like real players that know the game and see if that game kind of cuts down a little bit on time. Yeah. And hopefully it's not too random where your initial strategy does benefit you late in the game. I think if Mike would have stayed around a little bit, he would have seen that George was just wiping the board clean and he really could have been in a better position. But you do get a sense that, wow, there's a lot of cubes out there, but you got to remember, everyone will influence the board and catch up later on. So um, at least for me at this time, this game is definitely a play. I would check this out, and it could be a buy. The quality of the components is great. The board looks wonderful. The cards are amazing. Um, you know, a few more plays could definitely make this a buy. Yeah, that sounds good. I mean, uh, hey, Drew, if you're listening, bring it next time. I want to try to play it. Yeah, me too. <laughs> that and Gates of Lo Yang. Bring that too. And now for the feature review. Hey, guys. So today we're looking at Bioshock Infinite, The Siege of Columbia by Plaid Hat Games. It's a game by Isaac Vega, and it plays two or four players. Mind you, not two to four, it's two or four, as you will be doing a full combat between the Founders and the Vox Populi. You're going to start the game out by picking out your side, getting dealt a random leader card, which will give you bonuses such as an extra Silver Eagle when you win a combat, buildings may be cheaper, or you might get more influence on your voting. From there, you're going to take a look at your player card, lay out your starting units in the appropriate zones as indicated by the book, and from there, you're going to get ready for your first turn. Here, each player is going to draw five cards from their hand, and on those cards, you're going to notice three different stats. The first one is a red number, which indicates what they add to combat. The golden number decides the influence you'll get towards voting purposes, and then finally, how many silver eagles you'll get when you decide to cash that card in during the production phase. Finally, these cards also have a locked ability, which you will be able to unlock as the game goes on, which will give random bonuses. Take, for example, the motorized patriot will allow you to add an additional combat unit to this fight, while other cards, like the Shotgunner, will help increase how much you're doing in that fight. From here, you're going to get to your first voting card. On your voting card, you'll notice it'll either give a plus-minus to your side or two question marks. These votes will add random elements to the game, such as the ability to lock down your opponent's ability to move, gaining additional Silver Eagles, or an influence swing in the game. Being the first player is an important aspect in this game, and you'll learn more about that soon. Now each player, starting with the first player, is going to put down any number of cards from their hand face down, and that's going to count towards their total vote. After each player has placed their number of cards, you flip them over, and you will discover who has won that vote. That person will either decide to approve or decline that option, which will change what happens. Now one other thing that's pretty interesting is, if one team is behind in victory points, Booker will actually roll a white dice and add that many votes to that side. Booker is the swing vote, as he likes to be a random element. After this vote is resolved, you will look on the bottom and you'll see additional icons. A Booker icon indicates that he is in an aggressive mode, and when he moves somewhere, he will bring the thunder. 
Booker is a very powerful combat unit who rolls three of the most powerful dice in fights, so if he comes to your area with a rage, it's not going to be good for your units. The second thing you may notice is if there is an Elizabeth icon. From that, you're going to move the Elizabeth marker down the Elizabeth track. Now this is an outside card that's going to change what goes on in the game. Take for example, Elizabeth might grant whoever controls her additional resources, she might become aggressive herself, she might disappear from the board. It's all very thematic to the game, but you can almost assure yourself that it's usually not good for you. After that, you're going to find out where Booker moves to. If Elizabeth is with him, he'll move as the card indicates, but if Elizabeth isn't, he's going to go back to her. Now you have to be careful, because like I said, if Booker's in an aggressive mode, your guys are going to probably be a little sorry about that. Now you're also going to reveal a victory point condition card. These are going to let you know what must be fulfilled to gain those victory points, which is the goal of the game. The first player to have all 10 of his victory points spread out on the board and on these cards is going to be the winner. So, these victory point condition cards have random things, such as if you have three turrets deployed, you will be able to gain that victory point, which you put your chip down and you now lock down that aspect, so your opponent can't ever pick them up. So it is very important that you're the first player, as at the end of your turn, you will find out if you get to get that victory condition. Certain other ones, like Infestation, if you have a unit in each territory, you're going to get four victory points, and in a game of trying to get ten, that's a huge swing. Now, after you've decided on your vote, you moved Elizabeth and Booker, and if Booker decided to, he attacked, you move on to your player turn phase. From here, you're going to be able to produce, which means you can discard any number of the cards to get their Silver Eagle value. You're going to be able to recruit and build, which will let you upgrade your units, place down additional structures, throw down a turret or two, or even get more soldiers on your side. Once that's all wrapped up, you're going to go on to the move phase, in which case you're going to take up to four units and move them one area over. Now what's interesting about this game is there's the sky rails, much like in Bioshock Infinite. Any unit can jump on those sky rails to get around and move up to three areas away. But there's a catch. You're going to have to roll the sky rail dice. There's golden dice that are basically fudge dice, where there's two thumbs up, two ones, and two zeros. When you roll these dice, if you get any thumbs up, you're in the clear and your guy made it safely to the next area. And then you roll again to see if he wants to go past there. If you don't get the thumbs up, you have to discard a total sum equal to the number value on all those dice. So if you roll a 1, a 1, and a 0, you got to discard two cards. If you don't have the cards, well, looks like that guy didn't quite make the trip safely and he's going to plummet to his doom, so be careful about who you send over. After you moved your four units, you're going to go on to your combat phase. Here's where you're going to roll dice based on the combat unit. Common guys have like pretty weak dice that go anywhere from 0 to 4, while leaders are rolling red dice, which are the most powerful. They have a range of 3 to 9 on the d6, so they can definitely bring the pain. You're also going to be able to play some of your cards towards those combat, which will add their values and other modifiers, giving you a strategic element to the game while keeping it within the realms of reason. Lastly, you're going to go into your refresh phase, where you're going to be able to discard any number of cards you want from your hands, or keep them, and then after that you're going to draw up to your maximum hand of 5 once more. After that, the other player is going to take their turns accordingly, and then you're going to begin again back at the vote stage. Now as the game goes on, you're going to notice more and more of those victory cards piling up, which will give you a lot more options as to what you want to go for. The board also has a little bit of that risk element, where if you control every area in a territory, you're going to be able to get additional victory points. However, those can be broken so they're a little harder to hold. Now the one thing that I find a little interesting with this game is that during build and produce you can also upgrade units and this is what makes this game stand out. 
You can unlock the special abilities found on the cards, as well as raise their combat value, their influence, and their silver eagles up to two points apiece. So you can make your cards worth more coins to make sure you can hire more units, or you might want to just up the influence so you know that you got those votes on lockdown. The way that Plaid Hat plays the game of checks and balances in this though, is that you cannot have more than three upgrades in another player. So if your opponent is really falling behind, you cannot just keep gaining and gaining those special abilities and destroying them in the long run of the game. The way that you're going to get these upgrades is if you win a combat, if you gain the first player marker by winning the votes, you can buy them for three silver eagles, or if you claim a victory point card. So there's a lot of options on how you want to build up your army. All in all, this game is pretty amazing that comes with a ton of cardboard shits, lots of those big silver eagle coins, a ton of miniatures, a ton of nice heavy chunky dice, and arguably the biggest first player marker I've ever seen. This coin is big enough that you can eat dinner off of it. Now this game is a little pricey with an MSRP of $85, but the question is, do all the components and the fun of the game stack up? Let's find out what everyone else thought about Bioshock Infinite, The Siege of Columbia. I mean, right off, the game is beautiful. Um, really great miniatures, nicely detailed. The artwork is interesting as far as the board's concerned. It really kind of melds a nice artwork design, but gives you a nice graphic design where you're not confused where you start off and what the different sections are. And it definitely keeps that art style that you find in the video game. Yeah, I mean, I liked it a lot. I liked the fact that it almost felt like a risk that has a definitive end at some point, as opposed to a game of eternity. Like, this game cannot go on for a hundred turns. I don't know, man. I don't know. We had a game, it was it was bordering on three hours, and we kind of ended it on a technicality. I don't think it actually officially ended. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, were you guys, like, taking adventures of the Sky Rails in that? Yeah. I, mean, I think so. I mean, I think both both games that we played kind of ended the same way, even though we played different factions. Yeah. So we both cut. We both, you know, conquered our immediate areas, and then met up at the top left. There was that kind of open section that was kind of left up for us to kind of attack at the end. But the Skyrails seemed to be an interesting idea, and it does it does work well thematically, although. You're only moving four units in the game. Now yeah, you can play. You move yeah. Now you can play some cards that will allow you to move additional units, but typically it's four units. So when you're moving through the sky rails, there's a good chance you're going to lose a unit or two, and or you're going to lose some cards, which is not a good thing either because the cards do play for so many um, different parts in the game. So we didn't really have a lot of battles where we were kind of like fighting units out. No. No, we didn't really battle a lot in either game. No, I and don't I think, think so. And I think that four-unit limit kind of kept us from doing that. Yeah. You know, we could easily just, you know, gun at each other anyways and ignored the realities of the game. But once you get, like, eight units looking at eight units, there's no reason to attack because you know you're just going to lose and you get pushed back. Yeah, yeah. But you can always go on that sky rail and just go pet. Like, if that's what I like about the game, having only so many of the miniatures. Because if somebody has all of their units on the field... You can always just jump on those sky rails with like two of your handymen or one of your leaders, go all the way to the back line, because you can just keep zipping along on that sky rail for the three moves, drop in their back area that's unguarded or only has one person, just take out a stronghold or attack like, you know, another soldier. Then you got a foothold in their area, and now you got them on the lockdown because they can only move four guys trying to get back to protect their homeland. Yeah, I mean, I tried to do that once, 
and yeah. I lost the battle, which doesn't you know doesn't mean anything. I just rolled the, the dice didn't come up right, but. Well, the problem with that is, too, I think a lot of defensive structures, there's way too many of them. So I think we were each, I think for a long time, we each like held seven different areas. Yeah. So usually, at least how the game, at least how our games kind of played out, each area tended to have two or three different areas. So you're going to have a stronghold there, which is going to give you a red die. You're going to have a turret, which is going to give you a blue die. And the turret's going to cover one of those other areas. So if... If you landed your guy in that stronghold area, I'm rolling a red die against him. Plus, I'm getting a blue die from the turret. Did you? Um, but like, if the you guys were in a lockdown in battle, weren't like the victory point cards popping up? Like whoever has three turrets, three whistles, three like the the sixteen soldiers. Like, wasn't anyone just racking up points like that? I mean, we got those. We I mean, did. We got the easy ones. I mean, I, I think I got three turrets. I got the three strongholds. The whistles were hard because you needed you need enough space to put those things yeah. in too. And you can't put three strongholds in one area. So I think it was that last area that if we conquered it, it would allow us to put those last defensive pieces in there. But, I mean, we were it was a pretty even kind of game. And that last area, since we weren't doing a lot of conquering, I don't know. We The defensive structures are really effective for giving you that extra die. And yeah, you're exactly right. You can definitely jump behind using the rails. But every spot you move through, you're rolling dice. And you can lose enough cards that's not going to... You can lose your character. You could lose your heroes, you know, which is not a great idea to do since they're so expensive. Yeah, because like, uh, in the game that Kim and I played, what happened was I was doing good on the map. I had about six or seven victory points on the map. But every time one of those votes came up where it was having getting a victory point for three turrets, getting a victory point for having this, Kim was winning those votes. So she was getting the lockdown on those, and she ended up winning the game... She only had maybe two points on the map because she kept stealing all those victory point cards. So I do like that, like that element of how the voting can become a little more important, where you can actually almost win on a political style if you tried. Yeah, the votes are huge, I think. Um, both games basically ended on a vote for us. And the second time, there was a small misunderstanding. The game probably would have gone another round or two. But it did end on the vote. In the first game, it definitely ended on the vote where whoever won that vote won the game, basically, because we were both close on victory points. Yeah, you guys were like, I think it was like a two-point victory card, and one of you needed one point to win, and the other needed two. Yeah. So that was pretty awesome that it came down to such, like, the wire. I think that was the surprising part to it, that it, it didn't come down to a battle. Yeah, I, I gotta admit, that's the one thing that can sometimes throw you for a loop in this game. Like, it can end with a whimper, not a bang. Sure. So, which is, yeah, I mean, I guess it's kind of thematic for the world, like, when you look around, like, some of the Bioshock stories and the novels and everything. So it fits the world, but some people, for a board game, that could throw them off. Like, in Risk, you win because you dominate. Yeah. You know, people are used to war games where it ends because they got nuked, not because, like, hey, I won this vote, and now I get a point because I have the most alarms. Yeah, I mean, you look at the back of the box, you see all those minis, you see all the spaces you can control... And then there really aren't a lot of fights. There aren't a lot of battles. You can force them, but um, if you're playing for the cards, if you're playing politically, those things aren't going to come up as often. We fought, I don't know, five, six times total in two games. Yeah, it wasn't, if, if that. And, you know, we you know, we had our own style. I know you guys fought a lot more. Yeah, our battles were... Yeah. I mean, I tried to battle, especially at the end. I was throwing characters out there, but... And when you lose a battle, what is it? You're just losing one character, and you have to move your other characters back to the stronghold? Yeah, yeah. If you lose defensively, it hurts a lot more than if you lose offensively. Yeah. If you lose offensively and you have a stronghold nearby, it does basically nothing. When sure. we had two strongholds next to each other, 
we attacked each other a couple times, you just lose a common. You put it back there the next turn. Yeah. And then I think that's also one thing, too. At the end of the game, you're not making that much money. Yeah, you can definitely spend your cards. It's going to give you something. But you're not attacking regions, which are going to give you, like, six gold. Yeah, and that's the thing, too. Like, I found that the upgrading the cards in this game, it's a little more strategic because against Kim, her leader gave her an extra voting point for each card she played. Yeah, I had that in the second game that we played, and that was huge because whatever, no matter how many cards I played, I always had advantage over Anthony as far as the voting was yeah, concerned. Yeah, that card killed me. I had to use all all of my upgrades, like eight of them I had to use to upgrade my voting capacity. See, what I did against Kim was I instead of upgrading my voting capacity, I upgraded the Silver Eagle value in all my coins because I figured if I'm not going to win the vote, I want to buy bigger so I can smash through whatever she had. So that's that's actually would, a good idea. I should have done that, too. Yeah, so I was just going, like, every turn I was attacking with, like, the handyman and the leaders. And it's like, oh, you killed one of them? I don't care. I'm rich. I'll just buy another. Yeah, so, like, that, I mean, that's one of the things I enjoy about that game, too, is there's a lot of variety. You do have a lot of upgrade options and styles of play. So you can actually just dedicate a couple of cards to, like, all right, these guys I'm only going to use for money. I'm going to upgrade them. They're just going to be votes in my Silver Eagles. And these three cards are the ones that I'm going to play for their effects. Yeah, I was a little. It was a little challenging trying to figure things out because the votes were so powerful, and you were if you won a vote, you were able to do an upgrade, and then there was an additional effect as well. So, it was really important to win a lot of those votes. And like you said, the military, you can definitely throw a lot of um, value into the military or into making money in order to buy those structures for you. But I think it, for me at least, it just falls apart as far as the military goes because. We weren't doing a lot with our characters. Other than that one little battle area, we kind of were kind of turtling for most of the game. It just didn't seem advantageous to kind of jump in there because all you were doing was wasting a guy that you would have to repay for. So, Chris, as you were mentioning before with the voting in this game, that's one thing I think can throw a lot of people off because in most war games, you don't expect like a voting element, especially for it to mean so much. Like, it's actually one thing I really enjoy, where if you know that you're going to lock down that victory point card, you can just throw everything in your hand to win the vote to make sure you're the first player to secure that condition. But that's something I can see being, like, very disarming for a lot of people. Like, some people may not expect that in this game. Well, I think, you know, one of the main mechanics is the military aspect to it. You are moving the units throughout the game. I would like to see either being able to move more units without having to sacrifice cards or the sky rails to be a little bit more forgiving because you are losing you're going to either lose guys or cards unless you get really lucky and you get that thumbs up every time it's not going to be very interesting about like yes i got around to your you know behind your lines but i only had one guy or one guy and two cards because the cards do count as value in a battle anyway so yeah i think there was one where you moved four guys over the rail yeah. Uh, three of them you had to pay. Yes. Two of them you let die, and then one you spent the card. <laughs> the next round, I moved across the rail. I got four thumbs up. So yes. huge, huge, huge luck factor there. Uh, you know, I got lucky I didn't have to pay anything. There was one time I moved like three guys three spaces, so I rolled nine times. Sure. So there's not just the random luck when you're rolling the dice to see if you'll actually be able to have that battle, but also the votes. The votes are really random. I think the first game we played... I was getting a lot of the vote cards that would benefit my faction, and I think that was kind of, I think you remember talking about how that was kind of like, yeah, eventually there's going to be some cards that are going to benefit you, eh, probably later in the game. So the, a little randomness to the deck, 
kind of adds even more randomness to the game as far as what's going to come up and how to prepare for it. All right, so yeah, the luck aspect, it's really, um, I, I guess it's unique. I don't know how much I like it in some ways. In some ways it's fine, but the thumbs up card loss thing, I'm not a huge fan of. So you're getting random cards as far as the vote's concerned, whether it's going to benefit you or not. Now, obviously, you want to play for or against it if it benefits you. You get random dice rolls that will determine if you get across the rails, random dice rolls on battles. So I don't know. It's a lot of randomness in the game, which is not a bad thing. And we really haven't gotten to even Elizabeth and Booker yet, which is also another random component because you're picking out um, one of the large cards and that's a whole other element, too. There's three different timelines that'll decide what Booker and Elizabeth are doing. And in some of them, like, Booker can go on a complete rampage where anywhere he goes, he's just bringing death and pain. So that can be a huge, you know, game changer where if you have a territory in lockdown, Booker pops up, murders everyone that's there. Now you don't have all that territory under your control. So that can be a very crucial game-changing moment. Yeah, I mean, I think the first half of the game we were wondering what they did because they just kind of they move around as those cards come out and don't necessarily do anything until you get far enough down on the timeline for it to matter, um, or if the cards start coming out where Booker is aggressive, which they didn't, so we didn't really you know see. Yeah, that. I think in the two games we played, they never really played much of a factor at all. I think at the end of the first game, they they were going to play in a factor, and then I think one time in my game. Uh, Booker ended up in a spot, but I just happened to have a lot of guys. But yeah, I mean, uh, we had that one card come out, one victory condition that was, if you control Elizabeth at the end of your turn, you get a victory point. Both of us could rack up victory points. That actually had a huge effect, because I think, I don't know if you or I had three, and the other one had two. But that's out of ten, so that was a lot of victory points just on that one card. And to control her, Booker needs to be off the board, so then it incentivizes you to fight him which you would never do otherwise because he's, you know, whoop you up. But at the same time, he jumps around the board, so you may not have enough um, troops there to be able to actually fight him effectively. And I think that happened for much of the game. He was kind of off on his corner for some strange reason and just didn't encounter us because where he gets placed is also random. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like um, it's a little hard to plan for that element, which I guess kind of relates to the game because... Otherwise, you wouldn't be able to beat it if the Vox Populi or the founders were able to go, hey, Booker's going to be here. Let's just put everyone waiting for him. So it is like, you know, it's kind of weird having that element of such a random chaos factor in it. But it's kind of one thing that, for me, I don't know. Normally, it would be something I wouldn't like in a game because I don't get to plan. I don't get to strategize. And in this game, for some reason, it just it didn't bother me at all. I kind of enjoyed all that randomness because I was embracing the world so much, I guess. That might be one benefit you guys have, too. You've played the video game. So the yeah. theme the theme is obviously strong. It's really well done. I've played like two hours. Chris, you haven't played it all yet, right? No. So we're at a disadvantage on the theme side, just looking at it mechanically. Um, I, I'm going to say I liked it more the first time I played it. Uh, the second time, I think it just went so long. Um, and I don't think it's a game designed to go that long. It just Because then the randomness really starts to get to get at you. Yeah, maybe a four-player game would change some of that, too. Yeah. yeah, I think even the first game went a long time, too, and if we knew how we were playing it, if we were a little more effective in our actions, that game, the first game could have went a lot longer. It's true. I think a lot of our actions were, I think this might work, I think this might not work. The second game, we were a little more aware of what was would benefit us or not. So, like, uh, yeah, so, I mean, I was saying how much I enjoy the theme on this game, 
And you not playing the game, I know you had a different take on it. I'm actually kind of now feeling a little bad for my friends that I made play Battlestar that didn't really watch the whole series. Because it could be that element. Like, Battlestar is one of those games, too, where if you didn't watch the show, it's like, okay, whatever. I'm this guy. I'm going to use this item. Who cares? I wonder if the Bioshock game has that same relevance, where it's like, if you didn't really play the game or if you're not into the world as much, that the Sky Rails aren't like this cool, you're zipping along and bypassing enemies, and instead you're like, eh, now I got a gamble dice, I don't know if I want to do it. So I wonder if that's actually like an influence or not as to like why I like it so much. It's possible. I mean, I, I, I'm sure there's a lot that you get from the game because you've played the video game, actually. So I'm looking forward to playing the game. I do love the Bioshock series and definitely looking forward to playing it more. What I, the problem I had with the game is there was so much randomness in every component that you really couldn't plan anything. Um, the cards that you picked up that turn were random. The, the movement you can play is random. The votes were random. Where Booker and Elizabeth moved was random. So I'm, I'm sure that you got a lot more out because of the video game, that you got enjoy a lot more of the flavor. I don't know if as a, as a board game if it really works without having played the video game. Yeah, and I mean, with what you guys were describing on how you guys played, that's one thing I think can be a factor, too, because you mentioned you both had big armies and you were turtling up a bit. When Kim and I were playing, we were just constantly striking fast and hard. We, If I had more than two handymen on the table, Kim was trying to jet in and take those guys out. Once I start, saw her building turrets anywhere, I was taking the sky rails over to drop in and take those out. We were playing so much more aggressively towards each other that no one got a chance to build up a lot of defense structures. So, I mean, that could be a factor, too. But I think that's also depends on the cards at play. So some of the victory point cards early on were have a certain number of strongholds, have a certain number of of defensive tokens, whistles, and and turrets, so you're going to play that way. Um, For me, I gotta say, like, I really like what Platt did with the game. The change in mechanics, the fact that there's a lot of variety in this game, and... To a small degree, that chaos element, I actually really enjoy, you know? I feel like you can play a game of Risk and everyone's there for 15 minutes planning their moves, trying to figure out 10 moves ahead. In this game, you can't do that. You have to be, like, if Booker moves into your area, you got to be ready to react. If uh, that new victory card condition comes up, you got to be aggressive to get it. So I feel like the game rewards you for a little less planning, 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 and a little more just going, all right, this is what I want, bam, I'm going for it. So to me, that's actually a huge pull. You know, there's a lot of games out there you can play for the long term. This is a game that just throws things left and right at you. And to me, I really appreciate what Playhouse did. So for me, I'm going to definitely say you should try to give this game a play. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I, I have a little bit of the same problems Chris does with the, the, the luck elements and the way it can drag out. But I don't think it's quite as big of a problem for me. Um, I liked too much of the game to let that dissuade me from wanting to play it again. Um, I've played enough of the video game to get the sense of the of the world and the theme, and to enjoy that. Um, I felt I feel like the game is very solidly constructed. The components are fantastic. The uh, general mechanics are very good, even if the luck parts can kind of frustrate you at times. Um, and I can tell as I'm playing it too that a slightly different play style would give me a slightly different experience. And so I'm excited to try it again. Um, and you know, maybe like how you guys were playing it and just be a little more buck wild and just roll through the board and see what happens. Yeah, I think being on my side is the way to go. We can be team reckless. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I'm going to want to play it again. Um, I'm going to say it's a play. I'm not going to go as high as buy just be- 
I mean, there's those luck elements, but also this game is $85. Yeah, I mean, that's one thing, too. We we lucked out. We had got it as the deal of the day for 50 bucks, which for that price point, I would say it's beyond worth it. At 85 it is kind of high. This is one of those games that, as much as I like to say go to your local brick-and-mortar store and you know support local, this is kind of like a you-have-to-get-an-online game because that is a very hefty price tag for retail. Yeah, it's a lot of money, and I know it's part of that CIP probably, and you know there's a lot of components in here, and they're they're decently well made, but that's a lot of money for a game that's not like just it doesn't jump out that much. It's not superb, uh, where I would say who cares how much it costs. It, it doesn't reach that level. Yeah, it doesn't even come with a capo ring for that price. That's exactly, <laughs> and that's less money. So. <laughs> For me, this game has a lot of potential. It's really tightly made. The mechanics make sense. It's all really thematic, and I love to see theme in game. So as Dan was saying, if I play the video game, I might feel more inclined to deal with the random components. But what we already have here is an excellent video game, as everyone's already talked about. The board game for me just is way too random. The cards, the votes, the movement, the actions... You never really know what's happening. Now, maybe if you go along for the ride and you just take it as like, oh, let's see what happens. If it happens, it works great where I play the the tokens. But for a board game, it falls a little bit short for me. I'm definitely looking forward to playing this as a four-player game. Maybe it balances out a little bit. Um, I know that Anthony felt like I had a character that was giving me the influence. I think Kim might have that same person. Yeah, where it adds one to your votes. Was it Esther Mailer? Yeah, I think that's who it was. She was intense. She gives all of your cards a, an additional influence. Influence on the board. that was great. But I think the first time we played, yours had an additional two attack. Yeah, those that... founder cards seem to be better than the box populate cards. Yeah, and I played both sides, and it just they seemed better. And I said that the first time we played it too, because yeah. I looked at your cards. Mine were kind of in that same area, but yours seemed much better, at least as far as that was concerned. So there is a little asymmetry with the game, which I don't mind at all. I love to be able to find a winning pattern in a certain game, but being that the game is so random, and the only thing that you do have that's consistent is your your, your hero? What you call it? Your, your leader? Yeah, your leader. Ability. Your leader in the game, and that's what you're really relying upon. It's almost a little too detrimental to the game. So I like to see the four-player game, but as a two-player game, and for the amount of hours that we put into the game, it's a dodge, especially at that price point. Now, I'm going to give you an offer, Chris. Now, I know with the Extra Life coming up, we got a lot going on for the next couple of weeks. But I have an extra Xbox 360, because sometimes they've been known to burn out, so I keep one on standby. <laughs> that's, part of my, that's part of my bomb shelter kit. <laughs> if you like, I will lend you a system for a while and the game. And we can always check down the road and see if maybe playing a little of the video game changes your feel on the board game. Because I'm wondering if it's something that they tie tightly on the, the feel of the game and the world to help like give you that want of the board game. Yeah, I wonder because I think you, I would think I would get a lot more out of the game because the theme is so rich in it. But I wonder at the same time, as you said, with Battlestar Galactica. Battlestar Galactica... Even if you don't know the series and maybe you can't get as much out of the theme, I think it plays a lot better just as a separate board game. Yeah, I can see that. But like, take for example when we were saying the theme. Yes. For somebody that's not a follower of Battlestar, it can kind of be like, well, why are you a leader card? I don't understand why you get to do this stuff. Or why why does this guy have to follow this goal but this girl doesn't? 
So I mean, I can understand, you know, when you're when you're familiar with that world, you look at those people, you look at those characters, and you're like, oh, this is awesome. And I feel like the the game influences a lot of that too. Like when Booker came, it was killing my guys. I didn't have that normal response of, oh great, I lost troops. I was just kind of like, oh man, that's messed up. Booker came in and ruined everything in my area. Like, damn, you do it. But it felt cool because it was Booker and Elizabeth, not just random dice rolled ruined my area. So that could be why it didn't bother me as much. It was just, I think, I like dice rolling. I really do. And one of the fun, one of my fun favorite games to play is King of Tokyo, and it's really all dice based. I was just gonna say this game is more dice rolling than King of Tokyo. It is I felt like. a lot more dice rolling than King of Tokyo. And I do like the fact that there are the red die, the blue die, and the white die that kind of relates to the power of the different units. So your star units are going to be rolling the red die, whereas your comets get the white die. And the white die is significantly less powerful. You can even get a zero. Yeah. A lot, yeah. Where I think the red die, the lowest, is what, a three? Like a three to yeah. nine, is that right? Yeah, so... It's really hard to do the math. Yeah. If you're stacking up against somebody. We, we sat there and stared at those dice for <laughs> five minutes at times. We're like, I don't... Just roll them. I yeah, don't know. And you could just run and blast it, you know? Yeah, right? <laughs> but I think there's just so much randomness. I think with Battlestar, at least, you know you're going to get a certain number of purple cards, a certain number of green cards, and you can kind of play those... There's a lot of randomness in this game. I think this is more of an experience than a game, where sometimes games are a puzzle, sometimes they're a game, sometimes they're just an activity. I think this is more of an experience and activity than it is a board game. Maybe go into this game, don't take it seriously, don't look look to win, but just enjoy the experience with it. Yeah, I can definitely understand that. I would have to say that this game would be a a must-play I wouldn't say if it's definitely buy, especially like if you're not a fan of the Bioshock series, I don't know if this would be the game for you. And even if you are a fan, being the characters who you're playing, I don't think like some people be like, you know, I want to be Booker and Elizabeth, not Vox Populi and Comstock. So that could be like another reason why you wouldn't want to buy this game because you're not Booker and Elizabeth. I don't know, speak for yourself, I loved being uh, Comstock. <laughs> yeah, uh, but you're a special case, Dan. Yeah, that's pretty <laughs> Spoilers. I just have spoilers in my head, and I know Anthony hasn't finished the game, so it's like, oh, I could, I could throw a com- comeback at you. No spoilers. But I can't. <laughs> don't be that person, Cam. No. Oh, but, uh, yeah, so I have to say it was, uh, it's a must-play. I enjoyed it. And it did seem a little video gameish to me, like when you're on the sky rails, when you're rolling that dice, you you're hoping that you're staying on there. And what I like to think when I'm rolling the dice, if I don't if I don't get the thumbs up, it just means somebody shot me down from somewhere. So it's like I roll the dice, like okay, did I dodge the bullet? No. Oh God. So I have to either spend a card to save the guy or just be like, uh, you know what, you can die. <laughs> yeah, you're just unnamed soldier number 212. Yeah, red shirt, you can die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, I, I enjoyed the game. Um, I was a little disappointed about who I was playing, but after playing a game of it, I saw myself enjoying the fact that Hey, I'm going to send out a handyman, or hey, I'm going to send Songbird after Elizabeth. So I think that really made it much more appealing 
And like I said, if you're a fan of the game, it could be a hit and miss. If you just like the whole aspect of sending out handyman and turrets and being Comstock or the Vox Populi, yeah, you could enjoy this. But if you just dead set on Booker and Elizabeth and be like, yeah, I don't really like the Vox Populi Comstock that much, you might not like this game. So I would just have to say, play it, see how you like it. And, you know, you can you know, might end up buying it. So that pretty much wraps up this episode. And we also just want to note, next week's episode, we're going to have one of our first ever RPG reviews, as we're going to look into Icons, the super-powered role-playing game. And until next time, this is Anthony. This is Dan. This is Kim. And this is Chris. We'll save you a seat at the table. All right, guys, uh, you want to do a little more Bioshock? Yeah, definitely. Right, we play you. teams this time? Yeah, me and you are going to be the founders, man. I'm going to show you how this is done. That's not fair. I want to be the founders. I want to be Stack. All right, man. We'll be the most popular. We're still going to win. Yeah, whatever. We're going to dominate the place. We did it in Game of Thrones. We'll, we'll, yeah. We'll do it in Columbia. <laughs>